Women's Health Melbourne is a boutique specialist fertility and women's health practice, caring for women at all life stages. We're proud to provide world-class holistic medical care, including IVF and a range of other fertility treatments. We provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our two Melbourne locations are in Fitzroy and our new state-of-the-art Caulfield practice. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can follow both Women's Health Melbourne and Dr Radia Lou on the socials. Our guest today is Sterna Glick. Sterna is a Melbourne-based lactation consultant and registered midwife working both privately and in the hospital setting. As a mother of five, her passion is supporting women throughout their childbearing journey, especially during the postnatal period. Sterner provides a home visiting lactation consultation service and antenatal breastfeeding information classes, helping women navigate challenges with an evidence-based, practical and empathetic approach. You may be thinking this episode is not relevant to you. Well, our main takeaway after speaking to Sterner is that every breastfeeding experience is different and that this conversation is relevant to women who are thinking about having a baby, trying to conceive, already pregnant or had a baby before. Welcome, Sterney. Thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Do you want to maybe start off? We like to start off by having our guests introduce themselves a little bit to us. What can you tell us about your current job? My current job. So right now I'm on maternity leave, but I am working at the Royal Women's Hospital as a midwife, um, generally doing two to three shifts a week, combination of all different types of shifts um, in the midwife capacity. And then I also do, I do bank. So casual fill-in shifts occasionally at their lactation clinic at the Royal Women's um, just when they're short staffed. And then I also do private lactation home visits, so lactation consulting on the side in my yeah. other space. So you're another one of our guests who just loves babies. Love babies and always have. <laughs> so that's how I ended up here. So in year 10, there, in year 10 I already loved babies and when we had to do work experience. I tried to get a position at the local little maternity hospital that was up the road from me. Like I think it had two, like maybe two birth rooms, like tiny and they said, yeah, sure, happy to have you. I was so excited to be working with the babies. And then I got there and the first day I was in the kitchen doing like operating an industrial dishwasher. The next day was doing admin. And then the third day I got to work in the nursery with the babies and it was like the best day of my life. I was 15. <laughs> and, yeah, I just from then on, like it, nothing ever changed. I always wanted to work with babies and I still love it so much. And that's how this all evolved. And you said so you're a midwife, so you help deliver the babies. That's your your yep. day job. And yep. then you've sort of become a lactation consultant. What happened? How did that happen? Um, so that sort of evolved. First, I went to uni. It took me five years to do the three-year course, having a few babies along the way. Um, became a midwife, worked for a year at Royal Women's full-time, mostly on the postnatal ward. And just in that time on the post natal ward it just became so clear how much support women need in order to establish like a successful breastfeeding 
in, in order to have a successful breastfeeding experience, like it was just, there's just so much need for that support and that time and the conversations and the information and education around it. And obviously as a midwife, you have limited time to provide that. We do the best we can, but there's only, you've got a few patients and it's only that much you can do. And it became like, as the year went on, it was just like, it became clear that it was such a passion. And I always found myself like kind of hovering around women who needed help with breastfeeding and trying to get the baby attached and trying to explain normal breastfeeding behaviors. This is all normal. The baby's unsettled for this. Just just that much support around the breastfeeding experience for the mum in the very early days. Um, And then I had this sort of feeling in the back of my head, maybe I should kind of formalise that passion and do the IBCLC course and become a lactation consultant. I was umming and ahhing and then after a year. What's that stand for? IBCLC? International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. (laughs) So there's one um, main board globally and you qualify through them and it's international. There's lots of IBCLCs all around, IBCLCs, yeah, all around the world. Um, and you can do their exam, obviously, anywhere remotely. So I did that when I was on maternity leave with my third baby. I did that course over a few months and then sat the exam and became qualified. And, yeah, it's been the best thing because now they, like the midwifery and the lactation, just complement each other so well. There's so much crossover um even even in a home visit just understanding the nuances of how the baby was born and what the woman went through I might have even seen her at the hospital or not um it's just such a great way to combine those skill sets and help women through that whole childbearing journey so it all came together nicely and I love it there are so many benefits to breastfeeding can you tell us a little bit about some of those benefits for both women and babies sure some of those benefits are more physical, like um, to the baby, There's everybody knows that breast milk is healthy and contains all kinds of goodies that help the baby fight off infection or not get the infections in the first place. So it's, it has a lot of protective agents that protect the baby through, the mum provides antibodies through the breast milk and that goes to the baby and, and helps boost their immune system. Benefits to the baby for breastfeeding are, there have been recently a lot more studies done that show there are a lot of benefits to the baby in terms of SIDS, reducing the incidence of SIDS, reducing things like childhood and adult obesity, um, reducing the incidence of infection, uh, respiratory infection, ear infections, all that sort of stuff, especially beneficial to premature babies. So um, breast milk is much more easily digested than other milks. So, you know, premature babies have very sensitive GI tracts and the breast milk is very helpful to them in that way and also protecting them because they're very susceptible to infection. Um, So that's the baby. And obviously just um, emotionally being on mum's chest is the best place on earth for a baby and they, they just love it. And for some women, the breastfeeding is really easy and for other women, it's a really big struggle. So it's hard to say, oh, it's so much easier than preparing a bottle and sterilizing. It's not necessarily easier for some women, but, um, you know, it's always worth it. The benefits to the mum are there are some major physical benefits like reduces the chance, the risk of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, type 2 diabetes, all of those things. But it also, it's such a good way for the mum to sit down and have that close, quiet time with the baby, which obviously you can achieve also bottle feeding. 
but it releases that oxytocin. So one of the hormones that is needed in order to breastfeed is oxytocin, which is obviously the love hormone. And, you know, if you're feeding your baby six or eight or 10 times a day, you're getting this gush of oxytocin 10 times a day. And it, you literally feel this burst of love to the baby every time that happens. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's just the best, even though it has lots of, you know, it's always a journey and it's always hard. It's, you'd be hard pressed to find a woman who has breastfed a few children and never had any hurdles or never reached out for help or never had any struggles. So, yeah, so it's just, it's obviously the more natural way to feed your baby. But I do think it's also so important for women to realize that, yes, it's very natural, but breastfeeding can also be a very complex science and it's not that easy for some women and it's very complicated and sometimes it takes a lot of adjusting and you need a lot of support um, to get it right. And, and it's, all, it, it's always a journey pretty much for everybody, even though it's that natural, simple way to feed. I think women sort of think, oh, they'll just be able to breastfeed and actually just because it's the natural thing to do and you're just meant to be able to do it, but actually it's not the case and it's, it's okay for that not to be the case. Exactly. So actually even it, just last week I was speaking to a mum who had a baby I think maybe five days before that and her nipples were very damaged. She was in so much pain um, and she just kept repeating, I can't believe this happened to me what did I do wrong? I tried to do everything they told me in the first few days. Um, There's so much of that guilt and pressure that breastfeeding is so natural. You should just put the baby to the breast and it will be fed. But it's most of the time not like that. So yes, it's natural, but it's also um, can be very complex for some women. So having the right latch, getting the right support, all of that stuff is very crucial. And it's also never the woman's fault if it doesn't work out which is very important for her to remember. I think that's really important for women to know that it's never her fault. Yeah. Yeah. And things can go wrong and then go right. You know, things can go wrong with breastfeeding. Um, You mentioned about nipples being sore. I think probably every first-time mum has sore nipples when you start to feed. I don't think anyone ever told me about that, and even as a doctor I probably didn't know. And um, actually actually one of my, my... my very good friends in Sydney gave me some Lanisoa, which we we not to, we not it's not a sponsored podcast. Everyone, there's no brand preference, but it's just like this lanolin stuff that you put on your nipples that make them feel better when they're sore, and that was a godsend. And you know that was that was you know mother experience to doctor rather than me knowing about it. Yes, um, for sure. There's so much when you're first have your first baby, I think that you really, it's a big learning curve. And also for your body, it's a learning curve. You've never done this before. Absolutely. And um, also emotionally, it's a learning curve. Like I don't think there's, you never feel so needed and in demand as you do when you're breastfeeding. Um, And that starts off in the early days postnatally as like maybe a little bit suffocating and it's just so exhausting and you can't see beyond the next feed because by the time you've fed and burped and changed the nappy and changed the nappy again and settled and given them a top up, it, that takes two and a half hours and you're feeding three hourly. So you have about 20 minutes till the next feed starts all over again. And that can feel very exhausting in the beginning, but it does get better and quicker and easier and less painful. So as you were saying, you can start off not so well, 
it definitely and almost always improves and women can get to a point down the track where they could never imagine that they'd just pop the baby on the breast and feed without even giving it a thought but you will get there and eventually most women go to love the breastfeeding relationship because it's just quiet time and you know they look forward to that five minutes of peace where in the beginning you may have you know, potentially dreaded the feeds because they're painful or they're just so exhausting and so nonstop. That's an important message to women that it does get better. And there are some women though who who do struggle and who either choose not to continue or have not been able to feed um, even if they do continue. So there, there are some women who do have a genuine low supply and the baby needs more and there might be some baby factors that also sometimes contribute to feeding problems like tongue tie, babies not latching um, because they've got a maybe a physical problem or a cleft palate or you know, lots of lots of different issues. Um, and some women can't feed because of medications they need to take that have to go into the well that do go into the milk and we don't want the babies to get and some women have had surgery for whatever reason. Maybe they've had a breast cancer or maybe they've had a breast reduction. How do we approach women in in those circumstances? So all of those things you mentioned are very, not necessarily common, but very genuine reasons for women potentially wanting to breastfeed and it just not working out. And I think you just approach that the same way you approach anything when a woman tells you about how she feels about something. Lots of women grieve that experience that that they experience a sense of loss that they didn't get to breastfeed their baby as long as they wanted or exclusively and they really resist topping up with formula and a lot of women experience this very deep sense of loss and it's not helpful necessarily to tell them oh but your baby's thriving on the formula and your baby's happy and smiley and big um, because most of the time they can see that and they know that and they still feel upset about this And I think it's just like any other topic in a woman's life. If she tells you that she feels inadequate or feels this sense of guilt and loss at not having, you know, completed that breastfeeding relationship, then we support her, validate those feelings. Also, it's important for women to know that they should speak to the right people about these feelings, Um, people who won't just dismiss her as, oh, you know, fed is best. Of course, a fed baby is very important. But if a woman's telling you that she feels a sense of disappointment in how her breastfeeding experience panned out, it's important to listen to that um, and to reassure her that despite having had to stop breastfeeding or never getting to breastfeed at all, she's always going to be the best mum for this particular baby Um, and it's a little team. Women will always do what they think is best for the baby and for them in that moment. So I think we never escape the mum guilt. No mother is ever free of it. But if you can reassure women that the fact that she wanted to continue breastfeeding or the fact that she cares so much about this um, and doing the best for her baby, you know, that's enough. And that's a gift. And if her baby had three breastfeeds in its life, well, that's also a gift. So it's just a lot of reassurance, a lot of support, validating her sense of loss and giving the mum time to you know, move on from that and also reassuring her that that's not a life sentence. I have a WhatsApp group with four friends and me. So last night I typed on it, guys, 
doing a podcast tomorrow about breastfeeding and bam, that was it. Everything I ever needed to say, all the content, any evidence I ever needed that breastfeeding is always a journey and different for everyone was right there. It was like bang, bang, bang. I hate breastfeeding. It was the worst part of my life. Breastfeeding is the easiest part of motherhood for me. Another one said someone else had an awful experience with her first baby and stopped breastfeeding after eight weeks, but then breastfed her next baby for 14 months and loved it. Getting the right support and talking about it with the right people um, who will validate you and support you and reassure you is probably the key factor in trying to you know, get through that breastfeeding disappointment or whatever it is the woman is feeling. And some people don't want to breastfeed at all from the get-go, and that's also fine. I certainly, so I haven't had a baby, but most of my friends have, and I've seen I've seen what they're like after they have their baby. They're quite vulnerable. Some may say mm. a bit out of control, you know. It, their lives have literally turned upside down in, in a few moments yes. or hours. Based on the women going through everything and the horrible day three that everyone seems to have, what what do you find are sort of the best intentions of professionals to assist in feeding? But when the women are so overwhelmed, what, what's your experience around helping at this time? Um, so that's why I love being a midwife and a lactation consultant because the two worlds just collide on day two when the mum is just a crying heaping mess and the baby's awake and crying and everybody's crying. So just a lot of reassurance. It's very, very normal for the baby to be very unsettled and to lose some weight in the first few days of life. And that's because the body's designed that way to promote frequent sucking to bring in the supply. So if the baby was just really satisfied and slept for nine hours, you wouldn't be stimulating the breast tissue to bring in supply for the baby down the track. So it's just a lot of reassurance to parents that this is normal. Taking a step back, I think more important than on day two postnatally where women are, as you said, very vulnerable and so exhausted, the information does not sink in. They're just too tired and emotional and just exhausted. The best way to combat that is to just antenatal education. So it's, um, I know at Royal Women's there's a lot of education around breastfeeding at the midwife appointments during pregnancy. Um, some, uh, some obstetricians have privately have lactation consultants or midwives who work in their clinics who offer that sort of education antenatally. And that's the best time to prepare a woman for what's to come in the early days after the birth because it's really difficult. I mean, I know from experience, you can't hear what people are telling you when your baby's screaming and you're crying and everything hurts and you just want your baby to be full and go to sleep and there's no milk yet and it's day two and it's still little drops of colostrum and you're so anxious. Is my baby weighing enough? It's going to lose more than 10% of its birth weight. So it's very normal to lose weight in the first few days after life, of life. But Every mother lives in fear that she's not providing enough for her baby. All of that comes to a head usually on day two when the baby realizes that it's been born and it's hungry and the milk's not in yet. So it's just a lot of reassurance that that's normal breastfeeding behavior. And that's why we weigh the babies um, to make sure that the weight loss is within normal range. And that's why we follow up with the weight a few days later so we can reassure the mum: yes, your baby lost 95 grams, but look, it's gained 40 grams today. And that's fantastic. Your milk's come in. And you can just see a weight lift off the mum because she understands that there's milk there now. Having this chat with women 
before the baby's born. When the baby is born, there's like an aha moment for them where they realize, oh, that's what the midwife was saying about the day two unsettled. This is normal. Nothing's wrong with my baby. Or that's what those urates are in the nappy. I'm just waiting for the milk to come in or all of those kind of just explaining to women during pregnancy what is normal breastfeeding behaviors after birth can help alleviate all of that stress or a lot of that stress and anxiety that surrounds the milk not being in yet in the first few days, you know, postnatally. And obviously if a woman hasn't had a chance to have any antenatal education, then most hospitals have lactation consultants that work within the hospital. So just it's important for women to reach out and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't feel comfortable to go home. I don't feel like I can feed the baby independently without the help latching on at 4am by myself. Um, And if a woman tells that to the midwife, we're not going to send her home unless we feel that she can safely feed her baby independently at home, you know, at three o'clock in the morning where there's nobody to call for help. Um, She's not alone. She should always reach out, speak up if you're not sure. It's a fact that whatever you're experiencing, somebody else has also experienced. Nothing is you know, too great a problem to solve. And yes, those first few days are very exhausting and overwhelming and vulnerable. So antenatal education, and if she hasn't been able to achieve that, then just reach out lactation consults in the hospital. Your midwife will help you. We're all trained in breastfeeding assistance. And of course, your maternal child health nurse, you know, they do their check-ins every frequently after the baby's born. So reach out to them. They also know a lot about breastfeeding and have often um, breastfeeding clinics in the maternal child health nurse set up that you can make an appointment to and discuss. Also, I think women know in their gut if they need help or not. So a woman knows in her heart if the baby's hungry or not, or if things are sort of working. So if you don't feel in your heart like, like it's right, if you feel like something's not right, you just have to reach out and get help like anything else because there's help available. There's probably help available for women as well who who don't who aren't able to feed and they sort of don't feel that they're being the right mother that they're meant to be because they can't feed. Is that something you see? Yes. I think I mentioned to you when we chatted on the phone last week about a mum who confessed to me shortly after her cesarean that she was pretending that she wanted to breastfeed in hospital, but she never really planned to breastfeed when she went home. And that conversation with her has stuck with me through my practice until now. I think about it all the time because she didn't want to breastfeed. There's a whole reason why women, a whole bunch of reasons why women may not want to breastfeed to begin with or can't. Um, And there's a lot of shame associated with that and certainly a lot of guilt I don't even remember now how the conversation came up, but she basically told me clearly that she was pretending to breastfeed in hospital. She was putting the baby to the breast, but she was never going to breastfeed when she went home. She just felt under pressure from society to pretend that she was when she was being watched and her feeds were being recorded and everything was being managed in the hospital. So I thought that was really sad that she felt the need to pretend and that she felt that pressure. But then I was also really happy that she opened up and said, you know, I don't want to breastfeed. And I didn't probe. I don't know why she wasn't going to breastfeed, but there was definitely something there and there was a reason um, and that's fine. And then I would much prefer to teach her how to safely prepare a bottle of formula and talk her through the right ways to feed your baby a bottle than send her home 
pretending to breastfeed and not understand at all how to bottle feed her baby safely or what the normal bottle feeding behaviours are in a baby and what kind of nappies they should be filling and the expected weight gains. Um, You know, she would have left the hospital with us saying, you know, pat on the back, you're breastfeeding, well done, and then had no idea what to do. She was a first-time mum when she went home and how to make a bottle. So, yeah, so now it's it's really stuck with me and it's changed the way I approach the breastfeeding, the initial breastfeed after birth instead of being, instead of saying as the midwife, oh, um, you know, congratulations here, I'll help you put the baby to the breast. It's more congratulations were you planning to breastfeed? Do you want to breastfeed? Would you like me to help you attach the baby to the breast? And it's an opening for the woman to say, no, we're not planning to breastfeed. Um, can you show us how to prepare a bottle? And that's fine. And that's really important for women because I think everyone that I've spoken to feels just like, oh, I've just better put the baby to the breast because that's what they're telling me. But actually it's mm. completely fine to say, oh, I might need to top up as well or I don't plan on breastfeeding and there are everyone is there to support with that plan as well. Definitely. And, again, you, you any any health professional would rather the woman be honest and open and have a conversation around the best way to – like mixed feeding isn't an easy run either. Like there's no easy way to look after a newborn basically. However you feed it and whatever you do, it's really hard and exhausting. So if a woman is going to end up needing – you know, sometimes also I met – Another time I met this woman who came in, her baby was readmitted to hospital for excessive weight loss. I think it might have been day five or six even where it had a few weigh-ins and continued to lose weight until it was readmitted um, for a feeding plan, which involved supplementing with formula. And you could see a weight lift from her the minute she was told by a health professional, you need to supplement with formula, your baby needs to have a bottle you could just see this weight, like she felt you could see on her face this feeling of like relief, I guess, that she was being given permission to feed her baby formula when she probably knew in her heart all along that something wasn't right and the baby was hungry. And it turns out she had um, a condition called breast hyperplasia where she had inadequate breast tissue and it wouldn't have mattered how hard she tried. She Women who are born with inadequate breast tissue will never produce the full supply. So they might produce some milk, but they're actually born without the tissue that makes the milk. So it's actually very liberating and reassuring to women to know that in such a situation, your baby will need to be topped up with another milk. Jenny, how do you know, how do you know as a mother that your baby is still hungry? Mm. (laughs) That's the age old question. (laughs) So I don't know how to say that you know other than to say that you know in your heart. I think most mums can t- can feel in their heart of hearts if, the ba- if they think the baby's hungry or not. There'll always be a certain element of anxiety that gets mixed in where you might know, I heard the baby gulping, my breast was really hard and full before and now it's empty and the, the baby is gaining 50 grams a day and doing 14 peas and poos a day and you know that they're gulping and you still worry. So there's that always that bit of anxiety, but I think a mum knows in her heart of hearts if the baby's hungry. With breastfeeding, you don't always know, and that's why there's a lot of blind faith and trust in your body and in the baby to tell you. Um, and that's why demand feeding works best because 
breastfeeding is literally a supply and demand control center, basically. So if you think your baby's hungry, the best thing to do is to put it back to the breast and let the baby feed again. And then your body knows to refill the breast and make more food for the baby who is still hungry. So it's hard. That's why breastfeeding works best on demand. And that's the easiest way to get rid of that. Is my baby still hungry is just to feed it more. And that's because the there is that certain level of trust. You're not measuring meals. There's no way for us to know how much a baby drank. But having said that, there are definitely signs and cues, um, you know, the rooting reflexes where the baby will just try and suck on everything that comes near it, a blanket, a finger, anything, tells you that they're still hungry. An unsettled baby after feeds, just not, not you know, sleeping, doesn't seem content. Again, those are kind of things that a mum's instinct and I think a mother knows that her baby is maybe still hungry. Sometimes you don't want to admit it, but signs like that, like the rooting reflexes, um, just not settling, wanting to feed all the time. Again, that's the luxury of breastfeeding. You can just put the baby back to the breast and your body learns to refill those breasts and make more milk for the baby. Like it's very hard to say on the one hand, we believe that breastfeeding is supply and demand However, breastfeeding is perfect for this baby. Your body knows to make exactly how much milk this particular baby needs. And then on the other hand, to prescribe when it's allowed to feed and, you know, schedule feeds, then your breasts are kind of making as much milk as the schedule tells them to, not so much what the baby wants to eat and when. So if you just feed the baby whenever they want, most of the time the babies will get themselves into a bit of a rhythm and, a, and you'll see that after a couple of weeks they're feeding, you know, three to four hourly during the day and that's pretty normal that will just usually happen by itself but if you think your baby is hungry you can just feed it more or if you think your baby's hungry and it's not and that's why regular check-ins with people who with healthcare workers who you trust is also important weighing the baby is important if the baby's gaining enough weight and has lots of wet and dirty nappies and is happy and content and reaching milestones, it's unlikely the baby is not getting enough milk. If your baby's cranky and unsettled, there could be a hundred other reasons why, and the most common one being overtired. Sometimes mums will think that the baby, because babies pretty much are born with one skill, and that is sucking and crying, actually. So they do that for all their feelings of discomfort and wants, so sometimes it can be hard to differentiate, is my baby hungry or are they tired or is it gas or is it wind? But if you know in your heart that the baby ate well and you heard them gulping and there's plenty of wet and dirty nappies and they're gaining weight, then the unsettledness could just be overtired, it could be wind, it could be anything. It's hard to isolate, is my baby still hungry when you're breastfeeding? Because we don't know how many meals the baby's getting necessarily. We just judge by the whole picture. And it's a much more holistic approach than measuring meals and pouring them into a bottle and feeding it and knowing the baby drank that. You have to look at the whole clinical picture. Is the baby seem satisfied, content, full nappies, reaching milestones? Are your breasts empty after a feed when they were full before? All of those are signs that the baby's well-fed. I know one experience I had personally, and, and my baby, I think, in retrospect, I've had two babies, one of which was a fantastic little natural feeder and the other one was a bit of a lazy baby and um, it caused me much more consternation. Mm. But um, in terms of um, expressing, I personally could never express very much at all. 
um, ever and wasn't from want of trying whereas I've had lots of experience clinically as a doctor but also just with friends from my mother's group and my sister-in-law both my sister-in-laws um, who have been able to express and one of my sister-in-laws could express so much that she could go out and leave the baby and there was like lots of frozen milk in the fridge and she got a lot more personal space because of that. Mm. Um, whereas I could never, ever, ever express no matter what. I could feed my baby. My baby was fine, but I couldn't express. Can you tell us a little bit about expressing and when might a woman express? How might the techniques differ? And uh, how can you support women who can't express? Sure. First of all, it's very annoying that that happened to you. <laughs> it's really frustrating when you actually get the guts to go on a pump and to, to express, and you have this little glimmer of hope that you're going to get some time to yourself because someone else is going to feed the bottle and then you can't express the milk. So that's very frustrating, but it does happen sometimes. Usually women are able to express some milk. If your baby's a really good feeder, you don't always have the opportunity to express a full breast of milk and get out huge amounts because they've drunk it all. So some, whereas some women have just such a surplus of milk that their baby feeds and is full and they can still express a whole bottle. One of my sisters is like that and I'm very jealous because I'm not like that at all. A great time to express is after the morning feed. So obviously you always feed the baby at the breast first and when they've had enough and they're done, then you can hop on the pump and try and express out whatever's left. The morning, your breast will always be the fullest for a few reasons. One, because the baby eventually will do a longer stretch overnight so there's a bit of extra milk there. But also because weirdly that 2 to 3 a.m. massive surge in prolactin hormone comes at around that time. So the morning your breasts will be very, very full because you've had this big surplus of milk production overnight. So the morning is a great time to express. It's also a good idea to express. If you know that you have something coming up, express little bits. Try not to stress about it because stressing some people even have a trick that you put a sock over the bottle when you're expressing because people get performance anxiety and they're checking how many mils are coming up and then the letdown shuts down and then nothing comes out. So don't look how much is coming out and just relax and think about the baby. But the best time to express is in the morning. And if you know you have an event coming up, just to take some pressure off, let's say a week or two before, express a few minutes after each feed every day and the small amounts will come, will accumulate enough for a feed over time. And then, you know, that feed when you've given the bottle instead of the breast, then you'll ex you'll express out that whole feed and get a, you should get a pretty good amount. Obviously, there are some people who just can breastfeed a baby perfectly like you, but do not express well with a pump and it's very frustrating. But you could try a different pump, different size flange. If nothing of that is working, I think it's probably just how the woman is. There's also, if it's in the very early days, hospital grade pumps are best because they have a lot more suction than pumps that you can buy from the stores and they can be rented from the chemist and stuff. But generally expressing is best. Always put the baby to the breast first. If you can't get to express immediately after a feed, you can express, you know, a little while later, as long as you've given your breasts enough time to refill before the baby wants to feed next, because you don't want to bring the baby to a not full breast and have them fussing and, getting frustrated but certainly if you know that there's an event coming up you just pump a few days or a few weeks before and accumulate slowly and it takes some of the pressure off so that's a good tip pre-meditation is key <laughs> <laughs> always think but that's everything in motherhood it's much easier if you think about everything in advance 
and try and plan ahead. Um, it just takes a, a bit of that chaos out of it and that last-minute desperation. It helps being organised. I want to just um, want to just take the conversation somewhere a little bit sad for a moment because we do have patients who have tragedy in their lives and have either given birth to a baby that didn't survive or is stillborn or have had a baby with cot death or SIDS or even sometimes a woman who's had a miscarriage and her milk comes in. What can we do in those circumstances to stop the supply of milk? So um, it depends at what stage the baby was born to how much milk the woman will go on to produce. But most of the time in those circumstances, a woman does start to produce milk. The very first thing you do is not stimulate. Obviously, sadly, there's no baby there to suck or to draw the milk out. So the breasts are not going to refill as much. But most of the time, the woman will get the milk in the first few days. And for compassionate reasons like that, she can be prescribed medication to stop the production of milk, and that can help. Um, it, it can be a healing process for some women. Other women like to prefer not. I think it's important to, again, have a conversation with a woman how this milk, because when your breasts swell and fill with milk when there's no baby there is very confronting to women and it's very painful in the middle of the grieving process is this very physical reminder that your breasts are full and there's meant to be a baby there drinking it and there isn't. And it's very hard for women having a conversation about how she wants to end that milk production is very important. Some women prefer to do that slowly and not take the medication, just only express for comfort. We call it um, expressing just enough that your breasts are not engorged and you don't get mastitis and it's not painful and lumpy. So when they feel too full, you'll express just to take the top off, not more, because if you drain the breast, they'll obviously keep refilling. And some women prefer to do that slowly over a couple of weeks and eventually the supply dwindles and she's not uncomfortable anymore. Some women, you know, the minute the baby is born, she wants to start the medication to stop the milk supply and that's fine because she doesn't want her breast to fill at all. Some women will express out colostrum and milk and donate it to a milk bank for other babies whose mums maybe can't produce enough milk or whose premature babies need more than they're able to express. Again, like any tragedy or any woman's need or anything a woman tells you about how she feels, it's just about listening to what path she wants to go down and helping her achieve that. But usually it's just expressing for comfort and slowly letting the milk taper off and dwindle, the supply dwindle, or about taking medication to abruptly stop the milk production. And most of the time that's pretty effective. Um, another kind of left field question, um, completely unrelated, let's go back to happy topics, is sometimes you'll have a woman who for whatever reason hasn't been able to carry a baby but who does want to breastfeed. So she might have adopted a baby or she might have a surrogate carry a baby. Um, there's some conditions where a woman's born without a uterus or needs a hysterectomy or even in a same-sex female couple relationship where the mother who doesn't carry the baby wants to feed. Have we um, got any advice for women in those circumstances who might want to try and induce lactation but they haven't been pregnant? Sure. 
So inducing lactation is possible. We recently actually had a same-sex couple in hospital who had a consult of a lactation appointment for exactly that reason. So the mum who didn't carry the baby wanted to also, well, she actually wanted to be able to provide some milk to give the mum who did carry the baby a bit of a break sometimes. They can start on medication to induce lactation, but it's more about stimulation. So she will pump very frequently, very often and draw out and and some milk will come. So this particular mum was getting 10 mils every time she pumped, which is obviously not a lot. But if she does that six or eight times a day for a couple of weeks, there's enough for a few feeds. So it just depends about how you want to, like what the circumstances are. Another circumstance might be after adoption or where a mother has very low supply or didn't carry the baby herself and wants to have that breastfeeding experience at the chest, but she knows that she doesn't have the milk or adequate supply because because she didn't actually carry the baby, even if she has some from induced lactation. It's very rare to get the full supply. And then there are things like a supply line, which I don't know if you've ever seen one where it's it's basically a little tiny thin tube that goes over the mum's shoulder and you hold the baby and cradle it and breastfeed as normal with the supplemented milk coming down the tube. So this is a great way to stimulate the breast much more than you would be able to otherwise because if you put the baby to an empty-ish breast, they get frustrated and will pull off after a few minutes because there's no milk there. Whereas if you're feeding them through a tube, they get to suck and suck and suck much longer than they would, and that sucking is the best way to induce further lactation and to produce more milk. So that's a great way, A, to have that breastfeeding relationship and that cradle hold um, and that nurturing feeling of breastfeeding, but also the sucking for such a long period of time and and getting milk via the tube stimulates more milk. So that's used a lot for adoption. Um, The mum can actually breastfeed. Yes, there's milk coming through a, a line simultaneously, but it gives her the breastfeeding relationship with the baby and it's amazing. For partners, as you mentioned earlier, it's, yeah, it's stimulation, stimulation, basically just pumping, pumping, pumping and feeding the baby once her supply has been established as best she can. Yeah, that's my approach also. So if I have a patient who I want to induce lactation um, and she's not carrying a baby, I've had this experience with patients before, especially who've used um, gestational surrogates. Yep. Um, the, what I, my approach is to start it around the time where the surrogate is about uh, 28 weeks and to prime with some estrogen and progesterone because that's kind of what's happening during pregnancy that and human placental lactogen which is hard to kind of copy yes and then you can use medicines that have an effect of increasing prolactin production but you're right it's about stimulation and just like my story that I found it very difficult to express despite having a very happy baby (laughs) who was fat and growing some people aren't Unable was to that baby a boy? Right. I just need to know. Yes, yes. <laughs> Knew it. <laughs> Boys love their mom. Yeah, yeah. He he could he could definitely drain 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 the breast. I've, yeah, both my 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 lazy babies are boy as well. But he's 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 not lazy in other ways. He just was a lazy feeder. Boys just love their mom, and they would live in their mum's like they would live in their mum's chest if you let them their whole lives. So. I knew I think it. The mums would like that too. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. So it's really just about stimulation because that's how breastfeeding works. Supply and demand, whatever you demand of the breast, it usually provides. Unless of course, there are some physical clinical issues that interfere with that process. When a woman is carrying the baby herself and she's worried about her supply down the track, she can't really express frequently during pregnancy at the risk of inducing labor prematurely. But if the mum is not carrying the baby, she has that luxury, so to speak, of starting to express, as you said, much earlier, sort of three months before the baby's even born to get the process started because she's not at the risk of inducing, of putting herself into labor prematurely. So, and it's a great way for her to connect to the baby that is growing outside of her and to provide something for that baby already now. Um, And that when the baby is born, she has it ripe and ready for the baby right there. And she started the process before she's in that immediate postnatal period with a newborn. I think that's also an advantage, just to go a bit off topic, a bit tangential, but I think it's an advantage of second and subsequent babies that your your breast knows what to do. Whereas with the first baby, you're really, your body's learning for the first time as you are. For sure. And the baby's learning. And the baby's learning. Well, the baby's, I guess, learning every time. Every time. At least at least yes. after the first baby, your body's kind of got the right idea. It's easier yes. to turn it on again than the first time. For sure. And that's why it's always reassuring to tell women, even if your first breastfeeding experience was a disaster and even if it was very traumatic, most of the lots of women go on to have a very successful subsequent breastfeeding relationship with their next child. And it doesn't mean that you can never do it, you know, for another baby. Shani, do you have any take-home messages for our listeners who want to breastfeed? Most essential sort of ingredient to successful breastfeeding is probably support and good support. Um, so it, you can't do it alone. Nobody can. There's just too much involved in the process um, and in the demands of breastfeeding. And if it's not feeling right, get help and reach out. But on the flip side, if what you're doing does feel right and it's working, it doesn't matter if it's very different or the opposite of what somebody else is doing. There are a million ways to breastfeed your baby and have a happy baby and a well-fed baby and a happy, comfortable bum. So if it's working, just continue. And if it's if you're struggling, reach out and also correct latch. That's the other number one most important function of breastfeeding to make it successful is a good deep latch to draw the milk out. And another take-home message probably is that you're not alone. Like breastfeeding can be very difficult, but there are millions of women around the world who breastfeed and you'd be hard-pressed to find women who breastfeed babies who have never encountered some sort of struggle or hurdle or difficulties, whether it be lumps or mastitis or low supply or damaged nipples or a baby who wouldn't suck or jaundice and, uh, you know, prematurity or anything. Um, There are so many things that can crop up. And I think basically it's just about us providing women with the confidence to trust her body and to trust that she's making enough milk for the baby like in any area of motherhood, just giving the woman the confidence to trust herself as a mother that she can do this and she's doing what is best for the baby now and that not every successful lactation consult will end in an exclusively breastfed baby necessarily. Sometimes the success of a consult lies in validating a woman's desire not to breastfeed and reassuring her that it's okay and you've had a successful 
breastfeeding consult by ending that breastfeeding relationship. And sometimes it's, you know, reassuring a woman that she needs to mix feed and that her woman needs to be topped up or she needs to supplement. And sometimes it is more about helping the woman achieve that exclusive exclusive breastfeeding relationship with her baby. So basically just remember that breastfeeding is always a journey for everybody. I've breastfed five babies and all of them have been completely different to each other. No two were the same. It's always a surprise every time. What's it going to be this time? Even though you're the same person who's fed all the babies, it changes. And it's just about connecting with the mother, listening to her story, finding out more about the whole clinical picture, more about herself, her family, what her desires are, being honest and trusting her body because most women can breastfeed their babies very well and healthily. And most women will get to a stage where it's easy for them and pleasant. It's just in the early days, it's really hard. And that's why it's very important to reach out and seek help. Often it's a tiny little tweak or some just some fine tuning to something she's already doing very well that will change the entire experience for her. So it's different for everyone. And there are many ways to achieve a close and loving relationship with your baby through feeding And everyone can achieve that closeness and bonding with their baby. And if a woman needs help, reach out that, yes, breastfeeding is very natural and you would think it should be easy, but sometimes it's not. And that's okay. There are people who can help you and it's usually always a journey. Stoney, if people are wanting to find you for some help or advice, how do they find you? So I have a Facebook page, Melbourne Lactation, so it's easily searchable on Facebook, just type in literally Melbourne Lactation, it will pop up. All my details are on there, mobile, email. Um, there's also a Lacans, which stands for Lactation Consultants of Australia and New Zealand, um, which is a website which has a lot of information on it, but also a search, a toolbar that you can search for a lactation consultant in your area by postcode. So if you type in 3183, which is sort of the St Kilda East Caulfield area in Victoria, my name will pop up under Sterner Glick or Melbourne Lactation um, and I can travel within a certain range but those two places so far. Wonderful, thank you so much. A pleasure, thanks so much for having me.